Okay, so frequently in this line of work, things feel okay until they don't. Just not quite completely right. We end up working for an organization that serves our preferred population, but doesn't have an approach that we agree with. Or we start noticing how things are overlooked. Important considerations are missed, value systems seem askew. Sometimes our own safety, emotional and or physical, is compromised. Our boundaries are crossed. And often, as helpers, we feel stuck. We think if this work is what's available to us, do we stay in it? Do we fight it out? Maybe. Sometimes. And sometimes we decide the cost to us as individuals is too great. And then we're left with an open canvas of a career. Is it possible to create our own choices within the helping space? And if so, how? originally because I was impressed by her ability to commit to a lifestyle that felt congruent and right for her and in her case that's living in a van uh, and she executes it. I think Laura has a lot of spunk and courage. I think that she would inspire listeners and I still think all of that is true. I also think that during the conversation Laura spoke to the importance of integrity in the helping professions. That is, of remaining aligned with one's own values when they don't jibe with the system in which one operates. In Laura's case, to the point of being brave enough to venture out alone and to create something new. And she's still doing it. She's still creating new things. Laura used to work for a nonprofit. She now works for herself. And I think that she's ballsy as hell. So here's my talk with Laura on creating your own helping adventure and throwing out the rules. First, Laura, thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm so excited that you agreed to do this because I've been like stalking your Instagram for the past month. Um, so I'm super excited that you agreed to, to tell me about what you've been doing. Um, yeah. So I wanted to start by just seeing, can you just share a little bit about kind of who you are on your Instagram? You describe yourself as a van lifer, educator, minimalist, vegan, and environmentalist. So you're like this big smorgasbord of things. Um, so just describe kind of a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, um, that's a good question because <laughs> for the longest time I've always, if somebody asked me who I am, it comes down to my job. But now my job has changed so drastically that I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> So yeah, my name is Lara. I work in 
the outdoor space um, through an organization called Brown Girls Climb as the community or um, corporate responsibility manager. Um, I educate on Instagram, so I create lessons and share them online um, just to kind of lower the barrier to entry to some of the things that I share about. Yeah, I live in a van, <laughs> which is interesting to some people as well. I live and travel around in my van. Um, not so much lately, but I hope to get started again <laughs> eventually. Um, yeah, I, I care a lot about the environment. So that's where kind of like the minimalism and the veganism comes in. Um, and that gets sprinkled throughout everything else that I do as well. So yeah, that's uh, the professional quote unquote version of me. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. Um, oh, I also host a podcast. It's called Let Us Rest. Yeah. Yeah. No, Let Us Rest. People should definitely check out Let Us Rest. I was checking that out and, and doing some listening this weekend. There's some good stuff on there. I love that you chose that as, as a topic to go into more broadly and explore. I think that's great. Thank you. And I also um, teach American Sign Language lessons because that is something I was very deep into in a former life. So that's like something else that I've got sprinkled into my freelance yeah. of jobs. So you've always, have you always been involved as a helper? It seems like at least since I've, I've known you or been acquainted with the work that you're doing, you've been doing helping work. Um, what's your history of working as a helper? Yeah, so I've always wanted a job that made me feel like I was contributing back, like giving back um, or, or helping. Um, this definitely been something that's very important to me, um, which started as like working as a daycare teacher. So like working with kids is always something I've been drawn to because, you know, they're learners and I really enjoy educating. And um, I felt like something that was meaningful rather than just like... It, just finding any old job. Um, yeah, I've worked as a summer camp counselor. I worked as a sign language interpreter. I worked at a school for the deaf. Um, I worked as a paraprofessional in a special, ed in a special education classroom. Um, so yeah, I feel like a lot of my jobs when I've had the freedom to choose, um, which is not always the case, um, when I've had the freedom to choose, yeah, a lot of my jobs have kind of aligned with that helping role. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you kind of move into the space where you're in right now? It seems like you've got your hands in like several different buckets and you're just like, how did that transition happen from um, doing, you were doing predominantly some, some nonprofit work, right? Mm -hmm. And then like transitioning into things that were more sort of self, self-contained things that you were initiating yourself or what, what did that, what's it looked like to get to where you are right now? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so I was working for the last three or so years um, for a national nonprofit, um, which from the beginning, I kind of always had my issues with, uh, just because it's such a big organization, uh, it was easy to kind of ignore them for a while, because yeah. the little corner of the organization I worked in felt pretty good. Um, and it's the work that it's not, right? <laughs> what was that? I said, it's easy till it's not, right? To ignore those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the little the little corner that I was in felt pretty good. And then, um, and yeah, I was enjoying the work that I was doing. Um, but, you know, over the last couple of years, I've grown a lot and decided more on what I will and won't tolerate. And 
the organization just hasn't progressed in the ways that I and other employees had asked them to. Um, and then even more recently with the um, video of Ahmaud Arbery, they, they didn't do much to address that. And then uh, with COVID-19, they could have done better, I, I feel, in how they handled that situation as well, because they kind of laid a bunch of people off without reason or warning. Um, and then when the Black Lives Matter movement picked up even more um, after the murder of George Floyd, they really just, uh, it was very clear that it was not a safe place for me to work anymore, uh, like emotionally speaking um, and physically speaking as well. Um, so yeah, I decided to leave about six weeks ago, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I kind of, was able to piece together a little bit of work after that um, through working with Black Visions Collective. I did a little bit of contract work for them. I had always been kind of like educating on Instagram here and there, but I kind of took it upon myself. I was like, well, I know that that's a way I can make money. And I know that it's something that a lot of people need right now. So I took it upon myself to give that (laughs) job a try more, more seriously. Yeah, I've always enjoyed talking about rest with my friends. So creating that podcast is another um, way for me to find or create work for myself, using my skill set as an American Sign Language interpreter and educator to lead classes online. So kind of just pulling from the skills that I knew I had to make it, you know, an an option for me to, to piece together my own work. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I think that's awesome. We'll see how it goes as, as the months go on, but so far so good. Well, and you know, I think that so many people within the helping space can relate to that feeling of not no longer feeling aligned with their place of work. And I certainly, I mean, I, you know, to a lesser degree forever, people might, you know, be having this experience of just like the population isn't the right fit or the way things are managed aren't the right fit or not feeling heard or, you know, all of those things, but even more so now, um, I, I think there's probably a lot of dissonance for a lot of people in terms of working for places where they don't feel exactly aligned and having to make that choice of, is this a space where I still feel that I can hold on to integrity and feel aligned with what I'm trying to do? Um, and even like you mentioned, feeling safe, right? Mm-hmm. Physically and emotionally, um, and be able to, to continue to stay here or, you know, what are the other options that exist for me? Are there still ways that I can exist as a helper and feel like I'm more in line with what is important to me? So um, I think there's a lot of, of courage in stepping out and, and saying, I'm going to, to approach this in my own way and see what I can create. Yeah. I think, um, there were several lines kind of drawn in the sand over the last few months for a lot of people. And they were like, I am, I'm not crossing this line anymore that I've been willing to cross in the past. Um, so yeah, I see a lot of people kind of taking a hard look at various aspects of their life, whether it's, um, personal relationships or, or work or what have you. Right. Right. So, okay. So you mentioned about being a van lifer. (laughs) So I, I want to kind of look at that a little bit because that I think 
you know, you're you're kind of cobbling together this existence or trying to, it sounds like, and and mostly succeeding of being able to pull off living in a van um, while maintaining working in this helping space. Um, so I think that for like a lot of helpers, this would be a dream. Like I know a lot of people that work in this space that just have these ideas about um, lifestyle goals. And for many people I know, they're very aligned with like wanting to be, you know, living more simply or travel more frequently or, you know, being more environmentally conscious, but just being so tied to feeling like they can't leave their work or they can't, you know, they're rooted somewhere and that's just not a possibility. So I think that they just assume that the lifestyle isn't necessarily available to them. So how did you kind of go from having that be a concept that was something that appealed to you to actually making that a reality for yourself? Yeah. Um, so I lived in a van four or five years ago um, for about six months, um, but I wasn't working at the time. So I include that just to say that I had tried it before. So I kind of knew what I was getting into a little bit, um, mm -hmm. but it kind of has all come down to just chance. Um, it's something that I always wanted to do again, if I ever had the freedom. Um, and my work at the nonprofit uh, transitioned to kind of a work from home situation, which I took to mean work from wherever, as long as you have internet. Um, so I was able to, uh, yeah, leave the apartment that I had and bought the, bought the van, um, had some help from my dad and, uh, building it out. And yeah, it just kind of just, just been able to happen because the work that I was doing with a nonprofit involved a lot of travel. Um, so I kind of pitched it to them as a way to save money because they were paying for hotel rooms and flights. And I was like, well, bottom dollar is really what's important here. So if I can save you all money, will you let me live this way? And they said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah and then you know um now that I'm working for myself I get to decide what I do so staying in the van is the option for now right right so do you think you'll continue to choose that or are you are you not sure what the future will hold there I think um once it is safe to travel more freely I definitely will stay in the van longer. Um, I'm looking right now at borrowing an Airstream for the next few months oh. um, to kind of plant some roots temporarily. Um, it'll still be on wheels because it's an Airstream, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a little bit more permanent. Like my, my van is tiny. You can't even stand up in it. There's no um, running water or like electricity really I have a little battery that recharges with a solar panel um so having something that's a little bit more comfortable yeah sounds appealing especially since I'm not going to be moving around as much but once the freedom to travel is there those creature comforts matter less and less wow yeah I me I don't know I don't know if I could do that but <laughs> <laughs> extreme for a lot of people especially the, the that I have because it is so minimal um like I have friends who have a big sprinter van with a shower and you know yeah. a sink and a stove and an oven and all this stuff and I'm just like hmm that is appealing but then like how much do you pay for gas each month because my van gets 25 miles a gallon <laughs> sure sure right no that matters yeah um 
so what does it look like for you now? So you're taking a break from living in the van because of everything with COVID and, and just sort of like trying to keep yourself safe. Yeah. Um, so I have the van and I, I drove back to Tennessee. Um, I'm in Arizona right now, uh, but I drove back to Tennessee a couple of weeks ago to see my family and traveled in the van um, slept in the van to try and avoid, you know, hotel rooms and everything. But typically I would shower at like a planet fitness and Mm -hmm. I, you know, would feel a little bit better about going into a coffee shop to work because obviously I don't have Wi-Fi in my van. Um, so not having those resources available just kind of makes it inaccessible for me right now. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And how, how do you do the work that you're doing or how were you doing the work that you were doing for yourself um, while living in the van? Without access to stable internet, it's really hard to do, to be completely honest. Um, Like I can use my phone as a hotspot and that works for some things. Um, But anytime I'm having to do like a video call like this would not be feasible over the hotspot that I have with my phone. So it was kind of just getting to, to where I was going as quickly as I could so I could get back to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But typically I would go to a cafe or a coffee shop and work there um, and use their, their Wi-Fi. Wow. And so did the, did the kind of living in the van and before all this COVID mess, <laughs> did, um, did living in the van and kind of doing this, working for yourself, all of these things, did that turn out to be kind of what you'd hoped for or anticipated or, you know, how did, how did you feel about that particular lifestyle? Was that, was that what you had been trying to put together? Was that your hope? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I remember parking in Tillamook, I believe in Oregon, I had like been driving through the forests at night and found this little turnoff that was supposed to be okay to camp at overnight. So I parked there and I remember waking up in the morning and what I didn't realize was that there was like this beautiful ocean view out the back of my van, um, which I obviously see in the dark. I'm just thinking like, wow, this is exactly why I did this <laughs> was for moments like this. So yeah, it was definitely the experience that I was looking for and I'm excited to get back to it. So I wanted to ask you a few things about self-care <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, we all kind of struggle to figure out exactly what that means for us as helpers and actually pull that off even though we talk a lot about it. You actually, I saw you had posted something on your Instagram about like the nuanced differences between self-care and community care. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit about that and then like how it relates to you and your how you approach taking care of yourself? Yeah, so <laughs> the, the quote that I was most proud of from that post was um, telling someone to pull yourself up by your sheet mask is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it goes back to that individualist idea, self-care, um, that individualist like idea that Western culture has that like you should be able to, able to provide for yourself. Like if you just work hard enough, then you can get what you want. And for a lot of people, that's not the reality because the system is built against them, be it, um, you know, systemic anti-Blackness, be it systemic uh, discrimination against people with disabilities. There are so many 
categories of people that are marginalized to the point that they don't have the freedom to care for themselves for a lot of different reasons. So this idea of self-care being the only way is a little bit problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that for a lot of the changes that people are pushing for right now, it's going to take community care. It's going to take us caring about each other um, because we've tried doing it as individuals and it just doesn't work. Right, right. So how do you, um, how do you utilize that in your own approach to taking care of yourself and, and the people within your circle? What does that look like for you or how do you conceptualize that? Um, so I have a pretty tight group of friends, um, and we, in the last few months, you know, when we can't be together physically, have tried to really check in on each other. Um, I have like my best friend, she and I have kind of like negotiated how we take care of each other from afar. And so she'll, um, when she knows that I'm in a moment of stress or crisis, she'll know to check in on me like, hey, are you are you drinking enough water? Like, are you eating enough food? Um, have you slept? What are you feeling? So she just kind of like provides that little extra, <laughs> I don't want to say oversight, but yeah, she just, she just checks in to make sure that I'm doing the best to take care of myself that I can. Um, as far as community care that I try and engage in, especially with my platform on Instagram, I try and elevate fundraisers um, for individuals because, you know, every person who's trying to support the movement right now is donating to Black Lives Matter, but who is donating to, you know, this one woman who needs, um, uh, I'm trying to think, like gender confirmation surgery. So mm-hmm. some uh, fundraiser that I kind of helped elevate. So that's how I'm trying to do community care from a distance. Um, I'm part of a group called Keh Crew, which serves the Navajo Nation. Um, so we, Keh means kinship in the Navajo language. Um, so we are distributing groceries to folks on the Navajo Nation who don't have access to groceries or who have lost access to groceries, um, to like food and cleaning supplies because of COVID. Um, Cause the Navajo Nation is one of the hardest hit places in the country right now. Um, So that's an active community care that I'm trying to participate in. Um, You know, just like holding space for other people in my community to talk and share about how they're feeling. Um, If I was still working at the nonprofit, that might look like reaching out to a coworker who is having a hard time and seeing what kind of work I could take off of their plate. Um, Yeah, anything that you can do to kind of relieve the burden off of someone near you whether that be physically or not, um, is as community care as far as I'm concerned. Right. I love that. I think, I think within the helping space, we are pushed this self-care notion so much and it falls so short of what we really need as human beings. <laughs> um, like it, it seems laughable at times and, and being able to create something that's larger and more interconnected and more, you know, like what, what I love about what you just shared is it sounds like helping for you is not just within the space of your professional life that extends very broadly into your personal life as well. And that's part of who you are. And then also part of what you ask for from the people that are, are part of your inner circle to help provide for you. Um, 
try, I try to ask. I'm getting better about it because I'm like fiercely independent. Um, <laughs> so the the situation with with my friend checking in on me it was more her. Of, she's very um, intuitive and like caring and helping. Um, as as we're discussing, uh, but she kind of reached out and she was like, "I know you're not going to ask, so do you want me to check in on you? Do you want me to, um, you know?" ask you every day how you're doing and what you're doing to take care of yourself and I was like yes thank you for asking but I probably not would not have asked that for myself to be completely honest that's a really good friend though <laughs> yeah that's why she's my best friend because she knows me better yeah than almost anyone she knows yeah. like what I need and that I won't ask for it which is not something that I'm proud of it's something that I definitely need to work on and that I think a lot of helpers could probably stand to work on because we get so focused on helping other people that the idea of asking for help for ourselves can be really uh, foreign to us. Sure. I mean, it, I think that for some of us, it even borders on feeling selfish, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so being able to, I mean, even I would say you being able to accept the help that was extended to you is a step in the right direction. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I know, I know myself that I wouldn't have accepted it from a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. um, just because when the uprising started, you know, everybody was reaching out to to people to check in on their community and plenty of people were like, oh, what can I do for you? How can I help you? What, what can I support you with right now? And I was just like, oh, I'm fine. But the people that are closest to me are the ones that I will actually let that like guard down and let them in <laughs> to yeah. help. Yeah, well, that's great. That's something that's not worth nothing. That's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um. So thinking about that, so how do you kind of thinking about your own priorities, your own wants and needs, and, and trying to make that part of your daily considerations, um, which it sounds like you're at least, you know, you're thinking about as a person, um, mm -hmm. how do you try, how, how do you go about prioritizing your own wants and needs while being a helper, while being someone who is conscious of their community and who does helping work, how then do you try to prioritize your own wants and needs in the midst of all of that? Um, as far as my work goes, I try and set a lot of, I try and set very clear boundaries, um, which is something that I'm working on in professional and personal areas of my life. But so for example, on my Instagram, I have this like community that I'm trying to build where I'm trying to educate people, but I also have this whole list of community engagement guidelines. So if you're going to come on to my page and be part of the community, you have to follow these boundaries, which apply not only to other community members and how you interact with them, but also with how you interact with me um, to kind of preserve, you know, my, my peace, preserve my joy. Um, so yeah. it, I, I have those boundaries there. And if they're crossed, then I feel no shame about, you know, taking that person out of the community or whatever needs to happen. Um, so that's one of the ways that I've tried to prioritize my needs there um, as far as like not needing to interact with certain types of people or certain um, types of, you know, direct messages that people will get. Um, I try and take, take breaks, take time for myself away from work, which has been really hard the last couple of weeks, but one of my contract jobs just ended yesterday, actually. So my schedule is a lot more free and I can feel my shoulders have relaxed, <laughs> which is nice. So I'm trying not to fill up my plate with more. Yeah. Um, I was just talking last night to someone and saying, oh, I'm so glad that my, that my plate is empty 
And I'm also a little bit stressed because as, you know, a new freelancer, if you don't have something on your calendar, that means that you're not getting an income. Mm-hmm. So I was saying like, I kind of wish I had something three weeks in advance, but I'm going to try my best to not fill up my next week or two weeks just to give myself some space to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love the, the next two to three weeks. That's fantastic. Giving yourself the freedom to take more than an hour, right? More than a day. Like I'm going to take a few weeks and see, <laughs> give myself some space to breathe. I think that's a radical notion, honestly. Yeah, I'm trying to practice what I preach, you know? podcast <laughs> <laughs> about rest and then not at least try to incorporate some of that into your real life. Okay, so let me set this scene for you. I was 35 years old, working at a residential program 50 plus hours a week, making less than $50,000 a year on public service loan forgiveness with nine years to go, two graduate degrees to pay for that totaled $101,000. I watched my interest accrue as I made minimum payments until my balance hit $121,000. I felt terrified, anxious, unwell, and I was sure that I couldn't stick it out to have my loans forgiven without having a mental breakdown. Do you relate to this story at all? Then I have a program for you. So I have a four week group intensive program rolling out in January, 2021 that will identify your stuck points and create an individualized plan for you to get out of student debt so you can be financially free. You'll work with me and a small group of like-minded individuals to follow the process that I did to pay off all my debts in a few years while increasing my income and cultivating a more satisfying career and lifestyle. Do you wanna learn more? Visit my website at danabelletier.com and check out the Help Yourself Group Intensive. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Sure. No, so on your rest podcast, you ask your guests when the last time they took a nap was. So when is the last time that you took a nap? (laughs) I actually took a nap two days ago, I believe. Nice. Yeah, I think it was like two days ago. I took a, a nap for like an hour and a half. Um, I love it. But it was so needed because I had stayed up until like four a.m. the day before. So it kind of does it count? It should. It counts because I let myself do it. But also, I'm just like, I need to be well rested at night too. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I that's I'm a daily napper, so I'm like very behind the nap question. Oh, I love that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> tell me how you manage to, to do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> I have like built a life and schedule that can accommodate a daily afternoon nap. Oh, <laughs> I highly applaud that. <laughs> Thank you. Big, big life priority. So <laughs> I love that you asked that question. And you, I think you said like naps, naps are revolutionary. Uh, yeah. So there's this organization called the Nap Ministry. Um, that really inspired a lot of my thinking around rest and like how I kind of formed my relationship with rest as an adult. Um, so I kind of asked that question 
to start the conversation with each guest, but also to kind of pay homage to the NAP ministry, who is the, the, the phrase rest is resistance came from them. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned? Like, I, it seems like you've gone through, you've got your hands in all different buckets. You're just sort of like choosing things as they come to you and making decisions based on what feels feels right for you as an individual. So what, what do you feel like is the biggest lesson you've learned as you've walked through that and you continue to sort of create this, this life, this lifestyle and this and your career at the same time? Yeah, I think um, the biggest lesson I've learned is that there really aren't any rules. Yay! That's such a good one. <laughs> like, whether it's what your job is going to be or how much money you're going to get paid for a gig or what you're allowed to call yourself an expert on, like, there's really no rules. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are some people in the world who already knew that, but some of us are finally waking up to the fact that you you can make your own rules and you can decide for yourself a lot of these things and ask for what you actually want. And chances are you'll probably get it. Oh my God. You need to spread that far and wide. That's I'm doing my best. <laughs> and I also want to say like, like taking risks and things like that does come with a lot of privilege, like the ability to mm-hmm. leap and fall. Obviously you have to have that safety net there. So for some, this is like for some people and like when you can get to a place where you have the freedom to do that, there are no rules. Um, so I, yeah, I, I want to include that caveat because for a lot of people, you know, you do have to follow the rules if you're working towards, um, you know, financial security or, or whatever it may be. Yep. No, that's right. And that's a really important thing to mention because I do, I think that needs to be there in tandem with that declaration of like, there are no rules, which is, I think, true and liberating Mm -hmm. um, and needs to be heard by everybody in the helping space. Um, And also, uh, you're right there, you know, to get to a space where you have no rules requires a certain amount of privilege. And I, I think maybe an important piece there would be to just say that um, having, having a consciousness or an awareness that you can include thinking or or prioritize thinking about what you want and need as an individual and moving in that direction while still, you, you can do that while still being a helper and still being an effective helper and still being a conscientious person and, and all of those things. I think that maybe that's an effective way to, to think about it is that like you can move towards that as, um, as, as a goal, as, as the place where you want to kind of be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So as far as advice you might give to other people in the helping space, I'm sure, you know, people could look at what you're doing and be like, you know, you've, you've got this lifestyle you're putting together that's really cool and you have managed to move into a place where you're working for yourself and, and figure things out. Like, what do you think is most important for other helpers to know about pursuing a lifestyle that's authentic to them as individuals? And we have the, there are no rules, which is, you know, probably like the mantra of this podcast. 
But um, what else do you think would be helpful? What other what other advice would you give, say, to someone in the helping space who wants to do something similar to what you've created and doesn't know where to start in terms of how to get there? I I would say like there there is an audience out there for what you have to share. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody out there wants to know what you know, and you can break it down for them. You can teach it to them. You can share your skills and knowledge, whether it's through education or some other service that you're providing, some other kind of like helping that you're doing. Um, There are people who want what you have. And the biggest hurdle that I found is just trying to find those people and get what you're offering in front of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, deciding what your niche is going to be if you're going to pick one. And then just trying to build up that community so that you have the people there who are looking for it. So you can get it in front of the people who are looking for it. Awesome. How, how easy or hard is that to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it kind of depends on the avenue that you're going. Um, yeah. I've been doing a lot of like deep diving into the metrics of Instagram and stuff like that. And Instagram is not the most search searchable um, platform. So what I was advised is that YouTube is better because it's more searchable because um, it's managed by Google, but that's very like SEO and internet yeah. stuff. So it kind of depends on what type of platform you want to deliver your services on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a learning curve, but it's, but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would say look at somebody who's doing it well already, even if it's not the exact same thing you want to do, find someone who's doing something similar and doing it well and reach out. Cause again, there are no rules. All they can say <laughs> is no. If you reach out and ask for advice, all they can say is no. And you already didn't have their help anyway. So you're not losing anything. So look for somebody who's already doing it well, try and learn from them, whether it's um, taking them on as your mentor or just following their platform or, or their work, however they're doing it, um, and trying to learn from them as much as you can. That's kind of the the route that I've taken. Yes. Oh my God, that's such good advice. That's awesome. Thank you for that. <laughs> so kind of wrapping up, where can people, if people want to see more of what you're doing or, or learn more about the things that you're involved with or find you, where can people find more of you? Um, primarily on Instagram. So I'm at lara.edmondson. You can find me there. Um, I have a website, which is laraedmondson.co. Um, you can find the podcast there as well. Um, and then let us rest. The podcast is also on SoundCloud and Instagram as well. Um, so or you can just email me, info at lauraedmondson.co. I'll write you back. <laughs> you will, because that's, that, that's how I got in touch with you. You do. <laughs> you will get back. Yeah. No, awesome. Well, thank you so much for recording this with me. This was so great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to have you on my podcast as well. Um, oh, my God. I would love to do it. <laughs> I would love to do it. Just let me know. <laughs> And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening today. For more from Laura, 
You can find her at laura.edmondson on Instagram. And also you can check out her podcast, which I was a guest on her podcast a little while ago. It's the Let Us Rest podcast. You can search that. You can also find that on Instagram at Let Us Rest podcast, all one word. For more from me and help for the helpers, you can check out my website, www.danabellatier.com. On Instagram, we're at Help for the Helpers podcast. And the Facebook page, Help for the Helpers, uh, where you can join that community and find out more information there. As always, thank you, Rocco. Thank you, Liam. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitist, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth.